This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Last week, we closed the sermon with a passage uh, from the seventh chapter of the book of Nehemiah, recording the, the progress of the people after they had completed the wall, after they'd set all the gates in the posts uh, ready. Nehemiah stationed people along the wall throughout uh, Jerusalem to keep watch, to guard, to make sure that the gates closed at night and opened at the appropriate time, to very carefully protect what they had completed together. Now, the rest of chapter 7, we're not going to cover. It is a long record of all of the exiles who returned to Jerusalem, all of the people, all the, the families, all the clans, and the number of people. It's, it's a bit tedious, so we're just going to know that, that many people returned to Jerusalem. They found places to, uh, to live in the towns surrounding Jerusalem, and Nehemiah selected from among them specific people to live inside the walls of Jerusalem. And now we're going to pick up in chapter 8 of Nehemiah in the first verse. Actually, we're going to, we're going to move back to the very last part of the last verse of chapter 7 to, to make a complete sentence out of, out of chapter 8, verse 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to open with me, we'll begin in Nehemiah 7, verse 73. 73 verses of people returning to Jerusalem. That's why we're not reading through all of it. Now, if you want to open there, we'll, we'll, we'll begin reading uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. If you have a phone or tablet and want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app as well. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now there's a, there's a distinct difference that we'll notice as we come to the closing chapters of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is still our narrator. He's still telling us all the events that are happening. But now the central character of the story is no longer Nehemiah himself. We're no longer experiencing all of these events from his central perspective. The, the new character that we're focused on is the people of Israel as one, the group that's there in and around Jerusalem. And the people become the most important character in this section of Scripture the people who had come back from captivity, who had returned to their old homes, to the places where they once lived. They found places to settle. Then they came to the square in front of the water gate, and they assembled as one. Now, there's no, there's no messenger that went out to all the people, come and gather in Jerusalem. They gathered of their own accord. They, they, they decided among themselves, each and every one of them, to come back to this place, to gather together, as one, as if they were one person, they gathered and stood together in the square, a place where everyone would be welcome, came from their homes, from the work they were doing, and stood together in that open area. They were united in thought, united in action, choosing to become one, as if they were one person. You ever had a, a really good friend? A friend that, as you spend time together, realizes it's very similar to you, you, you think alike, you talk alike, you tell the same kinds of jokes, you finish each other's sentences. There, there's something about spending a lot of time with someone that, that develops you in similar ways. Maybe you've had a group of people that you're really close to at work or a group of friends, and, and as you work together, you get to know them really well. You, you can predict the kinds of things that they're going to do, the kinds of things that they're going to say. You know when there's a big decision to make, 
that you can easily come into alignment about that decision. Maybe you're going to discuss the, the minutiae, the, the tiny details, but overall, you know, you know the kind of decision they're going to make because you know them so well. Maybe you've been in a band or choir or on, a, on an athletic team, and you have experienced the kind of, of synchronization that, that, that's required for that group to function well, everybody acting at the same time, the same tempo, working in conjunction with one another to make sure the plays happen the way that they're supposed to. There's a, a sense of harmony and everybody doing the job they're supposed to do, working together, depending on one another. That's the kind of unity Nehemiah describes of the people of Israel who gathered as one. They were united by a greater purpose. It's the purpose that brought them together. And we find that unity grows when we focus on the same purpose. The Israelites had been living according to this purpose for, for quite a while. They've been working together to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem setting the, the gates on their posts, putting all the, the, the stones in place, guarding one another as they worked, resisting the opposition that was coming at them from all the, the foreign peoples around. They were unified in purpose, working for something outside of themselves, something greater than themselves. And now they, they're gathered together as one, having finished the wall, having celebrated together. They gather as one with the same thought, the same goal. They want to hear from the Word of God. They want to hear the law read to them. And they call on Ezra to get out the scroll of the law. It's massive rolled parchment to read to them from the word of God. Something that they had not had access to for years. They were united by their desire for God's word. As a church, we can learn a lot from the people of God here in Jerusalem. From the example that they provide for us, what unity looks like. Unity grows as we commit to a common purpose. And it develops even greater when that purpose is, is bigger than we are, is greater than we are. Focusing on a purpose unites us together. And as a body of believers, we become united when we focus on something outside of ourselves together. When we work toward the, the mission of the church to connect people with Christ, Christians, and to our community. As we, as we communicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ, as we reach out into the world around us and, and draw people into relationship with the Lord, we become united when we work together toward a purpose. And that requires us to all understand that there is a purpose that we're working toward together. That, that being a part of a body of Christ is not just about attending. It's about participating together for something outside of ourselves. And as we work toward that goal, as we work toward that purpose, we also have to sometimes set aside other aspects of life that draw us away from that purpose. We have to set aside our own desires so that we have time to commit, to serve the church and serve the community in the name of Christ. We have to set aside our own selfishness so that we can be committed to what's good for all of us together rather than simply working for our own good. We have to be willing to think outside of ourselves as we commit ourselves to the purpose that God lays in front of us. This is what we see in the lives of the people of Israel. We'll continue reading in verse 2. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And there was a, a, a whole selection of people standing with him on the platform. The people's names we've never 
seen yet in the story. We won't see again. It's not important for us to know all their names. But they stood there with him on the, on the platform as he read the law. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And the Levites, who were all gathered there together as well, but we're not going to read through their names. The Levites instructed the people in the law. While the people were standing there, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. It's significant here as the people gathered together that they were united in this purpose of hearing from the law of God. They, they took the initiative for their own spiritual growth and development. They, they asked Ezra to get out the, the scroll and to begin reading to them. And as a church, we see the, the importance of taking responsibility for our own spiritual growth and development, for the unity of our church, a unity that is brought about by our attention to the Word of God. And we see that God's Word brings us into alignment the same way it did for the people of Israel. As Ezra read the law, as they worshiped together and lifted up the name of the Lord, there's a unique change that, that happened here at this place that, that marks a change for, for the rest of Scripture. Something I learned this week as I was studying that up to this point in time, the people of Israel focused on the, the temple, which was, you know, as they left Egypt, God established the tabernacle, and when they settled in Jerusalem, they built the temple. It was the place where God dwelt. It was the place where they would connect to God and to worship him. But now, as they returned to Jerusalem, as they finished the wall, their focus is on the word of God. And they're connecting with God through his word. And this will become their focus through the rest of Scripture on into the New Testament. This word of God that they respect, not because they honor the scroll that it was written on. They respect it because it's God's message to them. God, who they trusted and respected, who deserved their praise. I notice the similarities between what happened for the people of Israel and what happens during a sermon here at Parkview. The word of God was read. And it was carefully explained. So all the people present would not only understand the words that were read, but understand how, what it meant for them personally, how it could be applied to their own lives. This passage has taught me a great deal about biblical preaching, about the importance of reading the Word of God. There's uh, a temptation when there's a large passage of Scripture, and sometimes I'll summarize something, so, you know, tell a story instead of reading word for word, but there's value for us as a people hearing together God's Word being read out loud. And we spend significant time here at Parkview focused on the Word of God. Our sermons are very biblically based. We always point back to Scripture as our source, as the root of information that we learn from. And we're very careful to explain the meaning of Scripture in our sermons, in our classes. We're, we apply the Bible to life. We learn how it changes us, how it shapes us and molds us. There are a couple of differences, though. When, when Ezra opened up the scroll and began reading, all the people stood Something that, that happened in church, maybe when, when we were kids, that uh, people would all stand for the reading of God's Word. It still happens in some churches. Uh, the other thing that, that happened that probably would never be accepted in a church today, Ezra read from sun up until noon. Six hours of reading from God's Word. Now, we struggle with 30 minutes, let's be honest. We, go, we get into 35, 36 minutes, and I can see people starting to just kind of drift off. This 
is dedication. This is attention to detail. They were hungry for God's word. And they stood listening to Ezra for six hours while he read from the scroll. They wanted to know God's word. They wanted to hear this message from the Lord, and they wanted to grow. They wanted it to change them. And that's what God's word does when we open our hearts up to it, we open our minds up to it, we allow it to penetrate. God's word changes us. It shapes us. It guides us. It convicts us. It works in ways that nothing else can to, to highlight the things that are in here that we don't necessarily want to admit that are there. God's word has a special way of reminding us of reality, helping us see the things that need to be changed, the things that need to be surrendered to the Lord. And it instructs us how we go about doing that. It, it helps us understand the process of surrendering those things, repenting from those things, turning our lives away from sin and turning them back to God. This is what was happening among the people of Israel as they heard from God's word. They listened to Ezra reading and they began to weep. Tears flowed freely as they realized how far they'd come from God's word. And Nehemiah and Ezra had to step in and say, no, no, no. Hold your tears. Today's a, joy, a day that is holy to the Lord. It's a day of joy and gladness. Don't weep. Not yet. There will come a time for weeping, but not yet. They were living according to the power of God's word to, to highlight truth, bring them to a point of reality. They saw the, the standard that was clearly described, a moral standard for living. God's word brings us into alignment. as we hear from God's Word together. Uh, that's why sermons are so important. We, we are all listening to the same message, all hearing the same application, and, and hearing that truth, hearing that standard of truth from God's Word brings us into alignment together according to God's will, according to the message that we're reading, and it helps us to understand how we grow together in applying God's Word in our lives, how we can, can, can grow together in our, our understanding of the truth that's found in Scripture, how we can align our thinking according to that truth, how we can organize our moral boundaries according to that truth, how we can set standards in life, how we can choose to make decisions according to his word. As we align with God's word, we align with one another because we're all instructed by the same standard. One of the, te the temptations we have when we read God's word is to think, oh, this, this is a really great message. I need to, I need to call up What's his name? And have him come and hear this message. We, we hear God's word and, and we, we, we understand the truth that's there, that truth that's convicting. And, and we think of people's names and we see people's faces and we think, well, they, they need to really hear what the message was about today. And that's a temptation for us that distracts us from what the truth can do in our lives. Before we ever think about what someone else needs to hear, first we need to think about what we need to hear. We need to allow God's word to illuminate our lives to focus on how we need to change so that we can be aligned with his standard. We'll continue reading in verse 10. After Nehemiah told the people, 
don't weep yet. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a holy day of the Lord. Here's what he said. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Apparently, the sorrow of the people of Israel was incredibly great. That they had, to, they had to hear this again and again. Stop crying. Stop weeping. Don't grieve over your sin. Today is a holy day. Let's celebrate together with sharing of good food. Sharing good food brings us together. I'm glad, personally, that this is, this is a part of Nehemiah's story. This is a great reminder that good food brings people together. I don't think this is something we should ever forget as, as Christians, that God provided not just sustenance. He provided a great experience for us when we share food together. We sit around a table and we taste the same flavors. We smell the same aromas. We share conversation together. God designed meals to be a place where we share in a way that we don't in any other time. A, a, a place where we can, we can slow down the pace of the day. We don't usually sit at the table and think, well, how fast can I get through this food and get back to what I was doing? Now, occasionally I've done that, but it's not typically what we do. When we sit down with people, we invite them into our homes. We sit down and we know that we have time to enjoy food together, to enjoy conversation together. And that, 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 that thing that we're sharing is also distracting. As we, as we talk together, as we have conversation, it makes things less awkward because we have something to focus on, something to do while we're communicating. We're not just staring at each other while we talk. We have something meaningful to do together. Notice he told the people of Israel to go and enjoy good food and sweet drinks, and not only just to indulge themselves, but as an opportunity to share. Look around and see if there's anybody who doesn't have things prepared, and take from what you have and give it to them. Share your good food with them. Make it a, a moment of connection. We eat together. We share together. We grow together. And I'm glad we take advantage of this resource. At Parkview, we aren't afraid to share meals together. We have potlucks at Thanksgiving. We have meals together in our connect groups. We eat lunch together after church. We meet in the evenings at homes and in restaurants. We have welcome meals for people who are new attenders to learn more about the church. We allow food to do what it's supposed to do, to bring us together, to be the thing that unites us as we grow in our relationships and share those experiences together. Now, the people of Israel continued on their journey Verse 13, we read more about the process that they were coming through. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim his word and spread it throughout their towns and Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out, brought back branches, and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, 
From the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And then we move into chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places. They confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. As they gathered again together, Ezra read a passage from Leviticus that reminded the people of the things that they had not been doing. They read about a festival that God proclaimed for his people to celebrate. For seven days, they would build temporary shelters, and all of the people would stay in those shelters. It was a, a time for them to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt. As the, the people of Israel traveled through the wilderness, they stayed in temporary dwellings. And every year, the people for seven days would, all of them, build a temporary shelter on top of their house or next to their house, and they would, they would walk out away from the nice things, away from the provisions that they had amassed. They would step into these temporary dwellings made from branches of trees, and they would sleep in them for seven days, uniting them in this new experience, setting aside all of the stuff that makes life good, remembering God's provision instead of their own. They heard about what they were supposed to have been doing. They recognized, we haven't, we haven't done this in years. Let's all do it. And so they all went out around, the, around town. They found all these branches of trees, and they all came back and built shelters and stayed in. It was an incredible time for them to share together in this experience. The reason that they chose to do that because they were convicted about all the things that were a part of God's instructions for them that they had been omitting in their lives. All of the clear instructions that were present there in God's word that they had forgotten about, that they had stepped away from as they were living their lives. Many of them in captivity in other places, they had become a part of the culture of those other nations where they were living. They had let go of the things that God instructed them to do because of the traditions of the people they were living among, because of the, the standard practices. And, and slowly, even though they may not have been doing things that were wrong, things that violated God's word, they were still not doing the things that God's word told them to do. And, and this festival is the beginning of that recognition. Oh, oh, I'm not living my life according to God's word. This is what I need to do. And they felt convicted to begin living according to God's word. And so they built temporary dwellings and lived in them. You know how hard that is to do? To read God's word. To understand that it's saying to me and to you, you are not doing what God clearly says you should be doing. That's a, that's a tough moment for us to then decide what we're going to do with that information. Are we going to continue living the way that we've been living? Are we going to make a change? Now, all of us have had this experience at one point in our lives or another, either because we, we grew up in a particular church and we heard a message and an explanation of that message that, that began in Scripture but, but wasn't 
entirely based on Scripture. We've, we've grown up believing things that, that aren't in line with what God's Word teaches us. And we come to a place later in life where we read the Word of God again and we think, oh, that's not what I was taught. That's a tough moment to decide. Are we going to, to stand on the tradition of the denomination we grew up in? Or are we going to allow God's Word to mold and shape our theology, to mold and shape our thinking and our understanding of life and truth and, and choose God's Word over tradition? And we recognize that over the course of years, we've not intentionally decided to leave God's Word behind, but very slowly we've been influenced by the culture around us. We've picked up other traditions, other things that we like that we see other families doing, other things that we like that we see people from other cultures doing. We, we, just, we develop a habit as we, we slowly step away from the Word of God. And, and not intentionally, not fully understanding what's happening, but over time, we drift farther and farther away from the truth. We drift farther and farther away from the clear instructions that we have in Scripture. And we read the Word of God. And we realize that we're not living according to his truth. We have a decision to make. Am I going to continue doing what's comfortable? Am I going to continue doing what I enjoy doing, that I've grown a habit of doing, that I've developed a tradition of doing? Or am I going to suddenly decide that God's word is true for me, no matter what it says, that, that God's word is important for my life, even if it's contrary to the way I'm living, and that what I read should produce a change in me that aligns me with God's will and aligns me with his standards, and aligns me with his instructions. This is what the people of God did as they celebrated this festival and also as they heard more about the moral boundaries of the law of God. Ezra read for six hours. He didn't stay in Leviticus. He read the whole portion of the law that came after. And they were confronted with the truth. They realized the clarity of God's standards for their lives. And they also recognized how far they had come, how much they were living outside of that standard. And that information brought them to tears. As they heard from the word day after day after day, the celebration that lasted for seven days, they come back together and hear Ezra reading from the law. And just like the first day when they gathered at the water gate as one people, the knowledge that they had stepped away from God's truth brought them to tears. They didn't make excuses about what they were doing. They didn't blame the foreign people who had taken them captive. They mourned their own unfaithfulness and acknowledged before God, I'm wrong. I see it. I'm wrong. They confess their sins to the Lord. And the, the way that this is described is, is not really specific. They were all gathered together and they were all confessing. It doesn't sound like they were talking to other people and sharing, talk, tell, confessing to other people what they were doing. They were each of them standing where they were and worshiping God and confessing to God the sin of their lives, the sin of their ancestors, the, the process that had brought them to the place where they were, realizing that they had been slowly drifting away from the word of God. And they worship God as they confess their sin. Now that, would, that would require a level of honesty that's really difficult to come to. A level of, of awareness, of being able to see inside of ourselves and say to God, here's, here's what's here. It's ugly, and I don't like it, but it's yours, God. 
I know that it's wrong, and I need your help to overcome it. Now we get there, but it's a difficult process. We get there because we understand the value of growing in our relationship with the Lord. And relationships are strengthened with honesty. Every relationship that we have is strengthened with honesty. Our relationship with God is strengthened through our own honesty. And when we approach God, the most honest thing that we can do is to recognize the difference between God and us. As we see God in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his infinite quality, and we see us so far from God. And we're made aware of the difference between God's infinite quality and our limitations, our faults and our failures. And it brings us to a point of honesty where we say, God, you deserve to be praised for how great you are. You deserve glory. And the honesty of, of acknowledging God's greatness is worship, is telling God exactly what we see in him. That's what, that's what it is to worship God, to proclaim how wonderful he is. And as we do that, we also have to be honest about who we are. And that honesty brings us to confession and repentance. In the same way the people of Israel, standing before the Lord, poured their hearts out about what they had done. In order for our relationship with God to be strengthened, we have to acknowledge the things that are keeping us from Him. The things that are, are creating that divide, or making that divide more severe, and surrender them to the Lord, and turn away from those things as we turn back to God in repentance. And as we do that, our relationship with God is strengthened. As we do that, our relationship with God grows. It's true of our relationship with God. It's true of our relationships with family, with friends, with people in the church. As we share openly and honestly, our relationships are strengthened. We grow together as we grow closer to the Lord. Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 wrote the very same thing to the church, reminding us to speak the truth in love to one another so that we each can grow, so that the, the, the things that hold us together as a body will, will be strengthened, so that together we will be a unit, that we will be drawn closer together as we draw closer to the Lord. And when we think about our relationships with other people, the same way we think about our relationship with God, we recognize some truth that we need to openly and honestly share with the people that we care about. We need to openly and honestly share with the people that we worship next to. We could spend years sitting across the aisle from people and never say more than, good morning, how are you? Never develop a relationship beyond the superficial. And that's a shame. That's a tragedy. Speaking the truth in love calls us to, to recognize the truth and to share it. It means having the courage to say meaningful things to people at the right moments. To say the things that we feel compelled to say, even when it might be a little bit awkward. Have you ever felt that, that moment when, when you, you feel like you should encourage someone? Have you ever felt that moment where you feel that, that compelling push to say thank you to someone? It's, a, it's an uncomfortable moment, especially when you don't know them very well. It's just a feeling like maybe I'm going to step, step across a line that I shouldn't step across. Maybe, maybe this is going to be so awkward that they're never going to want to see me again. That even though we worship together, it's, it's going to create this moment where I can't really look them in the eye anymore because it, it's just a strange, strange thing that I've done. But think about the value, the growth that will come in your relationships when you're willing to have the courage to answer those convictions, to walk up to somebody who's, who's serving and say thank you. 
Thank you for serving. You're, you're an example to me. And, and actually, I've, I've really been thinking about, about where I can serve. I want to ask if, do you mind if I just serve next to you? Because of how, how encouraging you've been to me, I want to, I want to know what you do and how you do it as I'm, as I'm finding my place here in the church. Think about, think about how much that would encourage someone who's already served. What if you were to say thank you for just the simple things in, in one of your connect groups? If somebody, somebody happens to pray out loud and you say, hey, thanks for praying. Thanks for, for sharing what's on your heart. You, you said things that I was thinking, but you said them in a way that I never thought to say to God. And, and you really helped me understand what, what prayer looks like just, just by praying out loud. I really appreciate it. Now, those aren't hard things to say, but the moment is tough, isn't it? That moment is difficult to step into someone else's life and to share openly and honestly the things that you're thinking and feeling. But when we're willing to do that, our relationships are strengthened. Our relationships grow in a way that they can't when we keep those truths inside. We have to answer those moments with courage. And we also have to be truthful with people in the other difficult moments of life when we have offended or hurt or wronged someone, we know it's time for an apology. Have you ever felt that compelling push that you really ought to bridge the gap and make amends with someone? That you ought to step into that, that divide and say, you know, we had a conversation last week and I said something that I think was offensive to you. And I don't know if it was or not, but I just want to offer an apology to you. I really didn't mean any offense. I, I had good intentions when I said it and I'm really, really sorry. Have you ever had those moments where you had to just eat crow and stand in front of someone and say, hey, I, I really owe you an apology for this. And those, are, those are difficult moments. But almost every time that I've had the courage to answer that conviction, that relationship has really grown and blossomed after that. It has been a wonderful experience with that person when I've been willing to say, I'm sorry. And as hard as it is to step into that gap, it's beneficial. I've rarely regretted making an apology, but I've always regretted walking past those moments as I look back and think about the resentment that stands between me and someone else because I chose not to. In our lives, we have these moments that require honesty from us. These moments that develop our relationships, that help us grow, that build unity in us. And we have decision to make. Every time we feel that compelling push, every time we feel that little nudge, we have a decision to make about whether or not we're going to strengthen our relationships or whether or not we're going to continue on and ignore those moments. God is calling us as a body of believers to live in unity. God is drawing us together as we draw close to Him. And it's our response to His truth. It's our response to His desire that makes the difference. As much as God wants for us to, to be united, as much as God wants us to live closely in relationship to him, we have a decision to make about whether or not we're going to do that. We have a decision to make about how we will respond to God's desire for our lives. And today we have decisions to make about how we will respond to the truth we read in his word. This is a story from people who lived thousands of years ago, and yet it's so clearly evident that it points us to recognize truth in the word of God and to humbly make changes that will draw us closer to the Lord and that will bless the people around us. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you've been feeling that compulsion, if you've been feeling that push, that you would step forward in truth. If that means accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today would be the day. If it means encouraging someone that you haven't encouraged in a while, 
if it means inviting someone to a meal to, to talk and to share food together, if it means making an apology, that you would step into that gap today. That you would, you would go where God's word is leading you. And live in the honesty, the truth, and love that he's calling us to.